Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham, and I have the distinct pleasure of spending some time with you today. On today's show, we're going to hear about veteran survivor benefits. We're going to meet a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization, and we'll check in with the Minnesota National Guard's Command Senior Enlisted Leader. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. When people think about the military, they often think about service members deployed overseas. What is unique about the National Guard is their additional roles. During Super Bowl 52, more than 450 soldiers and airmen supported security operations and law enforcement agencies. In 2017, more than 110 Minnesota soldiers and airmen were activated for hurricane relief efforts in Texas, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. In June of 2017, the Minnesota National Guard supported the Minnesota State Patrol on locating three missing paddlers in the Boundary Waters Canoe area. Also, in December of 2017, we opened our armories to several communities to shelter Minnesotans during extreme cold weather. With a force of more than 13,000 strong, we are proud to serve the great state of Minnesota and our nation. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. As I said in the opening, we're going to have a conversation about veteran survivor benefits, and joining me in the studio to talk about that is Isaac Lundquist. Isaac was appointed as the Benefit Eligibility Support Team Manager at the St. Paul Regional Office in May of 2021, and he's been the Acting Pension Management Center Manager since December of 2023. He began working with the uh, VA in 20, or 2009 as a Veteran Service Representative. And then in 2015, was promoted to assistant coach and has continued to serve since. Isaac, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we're glad to have you in the studio. And, uh, you know, normally we, when we uh, spend time with the VA, uh, we're talking about the healthcare side of things. And occasionally we'll get to get someone from the benefits side to come in from the federal VA. And um, so it's good to have you come in and talk about uh, this particular program. But before we do that, can you just tell us a little bit about you? I know that you served in our military. You have a deployment under your belt. So tell us a little bit about your military service and then what ultimately led you to the VA. Sure. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I joined the Minnesota National Guard in uh, April of uh, 2001. I joined to uh, uh, get some uh, college benefits, uh, help with uh, paying for college. And then, uh, as I'm sure uh, most folks listening know, 9-11 happened and uh, you know, ended up uh, uh, getting to actually uh, serve uh, in a little more uh, depth than I thought I was going to have to in the National Guard. So I uh, went on a, a deployment in 2004, 2005, had a all-expenses-paid uh, vacation to Iraq. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's a, it was a great experience, but that is part of what, you know, led me to uh, working at the VA. Um, you know, after I finished my schooling, I uh, really wanted the opportunity to be able to kind of continue to give back to uh, our servicemen and women who have uh, dedicated uh, their lives to, you know, uh, serving our country and uh, protecting our freedom. And so uh, I was very fortunate to be hired, uh, as you mentioned, back in 2009 as a veteran service representative and have continued uh, working there uh, over the years and really enjoyed my time. Well, uh, we thank you for your uh, service and then your continued service to our current uh, veteran independent population. Um, it's important to have people that are doing that work that, you know, have that care and compassion for our veterans, their families, their dependents, et cetera. So you are at the um, the VA and you're, you're working with the VA pensions. And, and, and I will just tell you that um, most often, aside from the healthcare side of things, uh, when um, 
when we're talking about the VA, people often draw a direct link to or um, a conclusion to it's all about compensation. But we're not talking about the compensation piece. We're talking about pension. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what your pension management center does, and then we'll get into what the differences are between pension and compensation. Sure. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, most folks think of compensation. um, And so there are actually three pension management centers um, across the nation, one here in St. Paul, and these uh, centers uh, focus on providing that uh, veterans pension program as well as survivor benefits. So this includes uh, dependency and indemnity compensation, which is the service-connected survivors benefit, as well as survivors' pension, and then we also process uh, burial and accrued claims and other uh, claims associated uh, or that come up after a veteran has passed away. All right. So um, somebody that – I mean, how do you know if you're eligible? Like, sure. you know, so, I mean, because that's kind of a big thing, right? The same when we talk about compensation, right? I mean, there's going to be a service connection, whatever, but um, – you you dispute a lot of stuff, right? So if someone's wondering, you know, can I do it? You know, what what do they do? Sure. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, uh, pension is uh, I, I feel a very confusing uh, name for the program. So our pension program, both the veterans and survivors pension program, is a income based program. It is for our veterans and, and survivors that are really uh, you know in a hard spot in their life financially, whether that be you know, that they are unable to work anymore or, you know, at the end of their life or because of uh, disabilities, they require a lot of medical care. And so that really is what this program is about. It's not, you know, if people hear pension and they think, um, you know, retirement benefits, this isn't a retirement benefit. This is, um, you know, more of that kind of income-based assistance for folks. And so to qualify, there's no, um, you don't have to have a disability related to your military service, a veteran, um, to qualify, all they have to have is they have to have served um, a minimum amount of time in the military, um, and a part of that is one day during a wartime period. Uh, they also have to be considered disabled, and so there's a couple of ways they can um, reach that eligibility criteria. Uh, age, if they're over age 65, we'll consider them as being disabled. Uh, that sounds uh, maybe a little strange, but uh, that's how the our, our eligibility is uh, written. Um, and then also if they are in a nursing home receiving skilled nursing home care, or if they have been determined to be disabled by social, the Social Security Administration. So if they're getting um, supplemental, supplemental security income from Social Security, um, we would consider them to be disabled as well. And then, as I mentioned, there's income and net worth requirements. And and it really is a program that is meant for those that are really down on their luck. So the the income requirement or the income limits are fairly low. Uh, For a veteran with no dependents, uh, it's uh, right around $16,000 a year annually in income that you have to have less than that to qualify for the program. Um, However, as I mentioned, we do uh, consider medical expenses as a part of that. And so, you know, that's where a lot of folks, if they re- uh, need uh, a lot of care and are paying for, say, an assisted living facility or a nursing home or in-home care, those kinds of things, they qualify for that program then because of that. And so those expenses then would be kind of taken off of that yes. um, that annual income, and that could possibly get them below the threshold. So there's not an age requirement. It's about um, did you serve are are you a veteran that one day in a combat uh, time frame or whatever, um, and then there's some type of a disability that's preventing you from making you know a sizable income I guess or, or working, and then you might be able to be eligible for 
this pension program and not to be confused with a retirement program. That's correct. You, you've got it. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I wasn't aware that, uh, that the VA – uh, did something like that, and and I can see how it'd be extremely beneficial, um, especially for those that are in a time of need. And, and is this designed then to be a, a short term thing? So, like, if someone just had a uh, disability, it's only going to last for a little while. They were injured, they can't work, or whatever, and they meet all the other criteria. Is it, could this be a short term benefit, or is it designed to be kind of a long term? It uh, it certainly uh, certainly can be a short term benefit. Um, you know, we do have uh, veterans uh, or survivors who uh, maybe have a, a disability that prevents them from uh, gainful employment. Uh, they qualify for the program and then they get better and um, are able to start working again. Uh, the majority of the folks, though, on the program are um, you know uh, people that have long term disabilities that prevent them from working or folks at the end of their, um, you know, uh, the later stages in their life where they maybe can't uh, get a job or, you know, they're past uh, that, um, you know, normal kind of working age. Uh, and then also they require a lot of medical care. So, Okay. Um, I've got a bunch of more questions for yeah. you, but uh, we're going we're gonna to actually stop right here. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk a little bit about some of what those benefit, uh, the benefits are, the, the pension benefits, get in a little bit more detail on that, and, uh, and ask a few more questions to clarify all this stuff. We just talk about pensions versus compensation. Uh, we've been speaking with Isaac Lundquist from the uh, Veterans Affairs Administration. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. And in the last segment, we were speaking with Isaac Lundquist from the VA. We're talking about uh, pension benefits. And uh, Isaac continues to join us here for this segment, too. So uh, in the last segment, Isaac, we talked a lot about the veteran side of things. But you said that there was also survivor benefits available. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that as well. Sure. Um, so similar to the Veterans Pension Program, there's also a Survivor Pension Program. Um, many of the requirements are similar in terms of the veteran having to have some of that uh, basic um, military eligibility to qualify. There is not the same uh, requirement for uh, the veteran being disabled, but there are uh, requirements to show that that uh, either surviving spouse or, or children uh, were dependents of that uh, veteran. Um, and then Similarly, there is also income and net worth requirements. And, and uh, unfortunately for the uh, survivor side of thing, that income level is even lower. Um, and so that's, you know, um, as we kind of talked about before with the veterans, this is really a program for those folks that are really um, hurting. Um, they need some help. Um, a lot of times this program is something that um, allows that veteran or survivor to uh, pay their rent, uh, get groceries, that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's really an important program. Uh, that not a lot of people um, you know know about, but really want to make sure that folks do know about it if if they are ever in that situation. Certainly um, encourage them to um, apply for it. They can go to va.gov to get additional information on the program and how to how to apply. Um, I would also highly encourage them to go talk to their uh, local CVSO. Um, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs has a lot of uh, great uh, folks that can help walk them through that process. There's other service organizations out there that um, we work with very closely um, on our side, and they know these programs and can really help uh, sit down with 
either the veteran or their survivor and, and walk through applying for those benefits and make sure that they can um, get those uh, payments as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. And, you know, we often direct people to the county veteran service officers on this program because um, especially navigating um, the VA, right? Th- this isn't disparaging about the VA, but um, we-, we don't want people trying to call your office to have you or have someone else help through this process because it's just not going to work. Whereas our county veteran service officers or some of those other veteran service um, organizations you mentioned, this is what they do and they can help navigate better through the system. And then, of course, um, you know, as we were kind of talking about before the show uh, started here, is that uh, the likelihood of some type of approval is a little bit higher because some of this stuff's already been screened out. Yes, that's very, very true. They they know the things that we look for to be able to grant those benefits, and so they know how to make sure that information is there uh, up front so that we can do it without having to go out and, and delay that process by asking for that information um, from the veteran or the survivor. When you were mentioning before about the income limits – and how, you know, $16,000, but if you're paying a lot of medical expenses, you know, that count towards it. So you could potentially be making a little bit more, but those expenses come off, which could get you to that threshold. Is there income that uh, is not counted towards your overall income or is everything that you make? It could be, uh, for example, VA compensation, right? I mean, you could be getting that. Is that counted as income even though it's not taxable? So there, there are certain incomes that we would not count. Um, there is, uh, you mentioned compensation. So unfortunately, if, if someone qualifies for compensation, um, they can't receive both pension and compensation. Okay. So there is that, um, uh, you know, caveat, I guess. We, we would grant whatever is the greater benefit in those situations, which usually is compensation. Um, but if there was a situation where maybe they were only, only receiving a small amount of compensation, uh, pension might be the ben- better benefit for them. Uh, but there are certain um, incomes that we wouldn't count. Those are usually um, things like so the Social Security disability income that I mentioned, where you know that's um, a similar program. Uh, but they are getting that based on their disability. We wouldn't uh, count that as income. But I guess what I would encourage folks to do is report everything, and then we will, um, you know, make sure that we're not counting the things that don't need to be counted and and the ones that do we will count because what we run into a lot of times is uh, folks maybe, you know, forget to report their interest income from their bank account. And then later on, we have data matches with the IRS or, or the Social Security Administration, and we find out about it, and it can cause a headache down the road if we have to go back and say, hey, we weren't counting this before. You know, a lot of times, you know, they're able to uh, mitigate any, you know, overpayments or things like that by supplying more medical uh, expenses, but it's just a, a, a headache for them to have to go through that, and we would don't want to cause any more stress than we need to. So I would just encourage them to really just report everything, and, and we'll make sure to get it uh, accounted for them correctly. Yeah, you certainly don't want to have to go into recoupment mode. No. Yeah, and, and you bring up a, a good point, because I wanted to make sure we clarified that whether or not you could receive um, some benefits at the same time, like Social Security uh, disability. Yeah. So there are, I mean, there are certain things that they, they um, you know, a, a person can receive while they're also receiving pension that we wouldn't count. Uh, but for the most part, uh, a lot of that we do. So like normal Social Security, we would count any wages, interest income, 
um, investment income, those kinds of things. Yeah, and I think the, the big thing here is, you know, it's who's the audience you're trying to serve, you know. Um, yes, we appreciate all of our veterans and the service that they have done for our country. But, uh, you know, just because, uh, you know, you have served in you've gotten that minimum that one day, this isn't some other thing you can just get. It's not an entitlement. Um, it's something that you may be eligible based upon that that income threshold or that asset threshold. Yeah, and this you, you, that's a good point. This program really is made to um, kind of fill that gap for folks that are really struggling and need that, you know, kind of basic um, ability to pay the rent, pay their bills. It's it's meant as a program for that, not necessarily as kind of an entitlement to say, hey, you know, you you served and this is something that we're going to pay to you, you know, um, as a part of that. It's really that, you know, um, filling in those gaps. So. And obviously, as we mentioned before, County Veterans Service Officer um, is a great resource for this, but um, and they'll screen out a lot of things. But, you know, when you get those applications and uh, your team is, is going through determining eligibility, um, obviously the big one would be whether or not they meet the income and asset limitations. Uh, are there some other things that are like red flags that uh, cause dis, um, um, you know, someone not to be eligible for, for the benefit? You know, like there's some major things other than those income or asset limits. Um, so we haven't run it. We, we don't run to, into this as much uh, anymore. But that one day of service during a wartime period is sometimes a thing that uh, comes up that causes folks not to qualify. Um, you know, with the Iraq and Afghanistan war, um, you know, we've uh, been at war for a very long time. So many veterans now have that one day um, because they've served, you know, during this period. Uh, but some of that... Um, uh, older uh, veteran population uh, that maybe served prior to that, you know, there's those very specific periods of times when the U.S. was considered to be at war. And and so ha- making sure that they at least have one day of service during one of those wartime periods can be a eligibility um, bar. And that's time. service on active duty. Yes, yes. Okay, important to make sure we uh, differentiate that. Yep. Um you know, our reserve components, of course, are activated very often, and they, it's that Title Ten order that puts them on active duty. Yes, and there is, I should uh, kind of going off of that mention, with the eligibility requirement for the minimum amount of service, it does have a caveat that is specific for National Guard and Reserve soldiers, which is that you just have to have served the term that you were called up for. So I know a lot of times, um, you know, those deployments might be a year or less, if you were called up and you served that full tour of whatever you period you were called up for, that would qualify you for pension. Right, because often those orders could be shrunk, yep. um, but then you would have an amended order and you've still fulfilled your, your obligation. Yep. Um, okay, so we, we really only have like uh, 30 seconds, 45 seconds here. So um, we've already told people um, go to the County Veteran Service Officer uh, as a good starting point, va.gov for more information. Um, are you guys hiring out at the uh, the VA? I'm glad you mentioned it. We are. Uh, you know, this as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, this is a, a really reward, re- rewarding career. Um, I've uh, enjoyed my almost 15 years working here. It's a great way to give back and um, really kind of feel accomplished at the end of the day that you've uh, helped someone out. Uh, so I would highly encourage folks uh, that are interested to apply. We're going to uh, provide some information on um, – 
where you can go to do that. But if you want to go look yourself, uh, USA uh, Jobs is the website that all of our uh, postings are listed on. We have, I think, about five or six different openings that are open right now. Um, so I certainly encourage anybody that's uh, looking for a job to apply, and we'd be happy to get as many folks as we can. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Isaac, so much for joining us here on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you for having me. That is Isaac Lundquist uh, talking to us about veteran service benefits from the uh, VA. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. In a moment, we're going to be speaking with a new Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner. This is a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Brad Lindsay. County Veteran Service Officers, or CVSOs, are the first stop or first point of contact for veterans and serve as their personal advocate. Navigating the claims process is challenging and many veterans often don't know the right questions to ask. That's where CVSOs step in and help veterans access the benefits they may be eligible for. CVSOs do important work. They sit across from men and women who have worn the uniform and served their country. Minnesota is really lucky to have such a strong and passionate group of CVSOs. As a state, we have a history of leading the way when it comes to innovation and forward thinking. Thank you to all our CVSOs who day in and day out serve the veterans of this great state. Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. For more information, please go to Minnesota Military Radio. Com. Joining me in the studio from the Minnesota Department of Transportation is John Solberg and Karen Van Dyke. John is the Assistant Division Director of Sustainability, Planning, and Program Management for the Minnesota Department of Transportation. And Karen is the Minnesota Department of Transportation Assistant Commissioner for Workplace and Agency Services. Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You are absolutely welcome, and, and uh, thanks for coming into the studio. You know, we always like to celebrate our Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organizations, and uh, of course, the Minnesota Department of Transportation had their proclamation back at the state capitol on December 7th, so that must have been a pretty great day, huh, John? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we were able to schedule it at the capitol there, as you said, on December 7th, and I think we probably had about 150 or 200 people, the governor, um, the TAG, as well as uh, n- numerous dignitaries and elected officials that were able to come to the event. So it was really good. Yeah, and it's great to to recognize that. And, and of course, you know, not only the fact that it's another organization that has come into the ranks of Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organizations, but this is a state agency's, a state agency, and, and that's that's pretty neat. No, absolutely. We're one of uh, four state agencies that are now part of the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and uh, we're really excited about it for our future and for the future of the state. And uh, this proclamation isn't the first time you've been recognized. I understand that back in 2018, Karen, there was a nice recognition that the Minnesota Department of uh, Transportation received as well. Yes, we were nominated and were awarded the prestigious um, Freedom Award and traveled to D.C. to receive that and really honored to. It's Yeah, I, you know, and, and again, you know, representing this, the state of Minnesota, an agency inside of that state, and then to go and get that Secretary of Defense Employer Support Freedom Award, that, that is a huge deal. It was a huge deal, yeah. yes. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about um, and Karen. I'll stay with you on this. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, you know becoming officially recognized, right? So you know you had this thing back in 2018 where you've already been doing a lot of great things to support the uh, the service members inside of your organization or the veterans inside of your organization. But uh, what kind of was the push to have you drive towards uh, the yellow ribbon proclamation and going through that work? Yes, we just knew that was the next step, and that would really show us that we're taking extra steps to really model that we are in support of our employees. So in 2018, when we received the Freedom Award, that really was the foundation for continuing our efforts and and what is next. And we did have a steering team at the time to put together some of the efforts, and then during COVID, like many things, we paused. Um, so probably 20. 2122, the Veterans Employee Resource Group, which John will probably talk about later, really took it on again to reinvigorate the effort and, and bring it home. And so you were all doing some things already, like I mentioned. So, John, what were some of the things that, uh, that you were doing and now continue to do to support the uh, military community? Yeah, no, uh, I think uh, Karin just mentioned our Veterans Employee Resource Group. So in the department, we have uh, several groups, employee resource groups. There are coalitions of like-minded individuals that either are represented or want to uh, support people. So in, in this case, we have our, our veterans and then we have our allies that are there to support their efforts. And so the Veterans Employee Resource Group, for instance, has um, trainings on mentorship, has uh, – uh, lunch and learns over mental health and county veteran service officers and what their roles are and those various things that not only veterans can learn about but that the service members, families maybe who may be employed at the department so that they can get a broader understanding of uh, service members and veterans issues. And so, Karen, I just want to come back to you real quick. Um, you know, all these things are going on and, and you said it was kind of the natural next step. But uh, was there any other motivation behind it? I mean, like, why was this so important for you as an agency, MnDOT, to to get this proclamation? Yeah, I think it really demonstrates our commitment um, to support our employees. And, um, you know, they have unique experiences and need some additional support. Um, I think it gives us access to that Beyond the Yellow Ribbon network. Um, so as a government agency, we don't necessarily have a lot of fiscal resources um, when we're stewards of the taxpayers' dollars. But if we partner with some of those bigger companies, they might be able to do things and we might be able to help and assist as far as volunteering. Um, and and I think serves men that well and, and bodes well for our reputation. Yeah, absolutely. John, I want to come back to you because we didn't talk about this in the opening, but um, you served about 22 years in our military. You and I actually served together way back in the day. And uh, so you've been with the Minnesota Department of Transportation for a number of years now. And so, you know, if you look back, you know, thinking about you as a service member, you as a, um, a person who works for MnDOT, um, what, what does it mean to you personally that MnDOT has gone through the steps to become a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization? No, uh, you know, I think there in lies the, the real issue of, of what are we doing as a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon um, member now? And I think what Karin just talked about as a state agency, we, we have certain protocol and everything that we follow along, veterans benefits, that's all prescribed for us. But becoming a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon member was really about the leadership within the department, 
recognizing the benefits and the burdens um, that our veterans and their service members, their family members, all have to deal with throughout the careers of their uh, family and friends and recognizing that the department needs to put a, a spotlight on that and figure out ways that we can help those uh, members within our community. And so it makes me really proud just to know that our leadership in the department has recognized that and taken that to heart and is really supporting that as a state agency. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously you've got the direct link. Now, were you a part of the steering committee from day one? Were you one of the, uh, you know, kind of the the promoters or the pushers to get this to happen inside of um, MnDOT? Yeah, so Karin and I were both on the initial steering committee uh, that helped start the the push for Beyond the Yellow Ribbon. She talked about that back in 2018. We were getting, we were going to some of the various meetings, trying to understand what Beyond the Yellow Ribbon as an organization meant for a state agency, and so we were moving that uh, process right along pretty well. And as she said, the pandemic came along yeah. and there's a whole lot of work for our human resources side, not only in the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, but all the protocols that were changing within the state. Yeah, and the great thing is you're already doing a lot of great work. Uh, so it wasn't like that much harder. You know, you just had to kind of put everything together. And so we've only got a minute here. And so, Karen, I just want to ask, you know, from your perspective as one of the co-champions, I guess you'd call it, for the uh, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon or one of the employee resource groups, uh, what does it mean for you that you were able to get this across the finish line, so to speak, and get that proclamation to be a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization? Yeah, I mean, we really strive to create this engaging workplace. And I think with our, um, we are about 5,300 employees across the state with, I think right now we're over 400 um, veterans or active service. So I think as people come in, they can feel comfortable. They can feel like they're in a good place, getting a lot of opportunities. Um, So for me as a former director of HR, it's really about getting that dynamic into the workplace. Excellent. Uh, We'll take a quick break here. We'll come back and we'll talk about what's coming up next. What's the future for the Minnesota Department of uh, Transportation? Uh, We've been speaking with John Solberg and also Karen Van Dyke. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. In the last segment, we were speaking with the newest Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization, the Minnesota Department of Transportation. We've got John Solberg and Karen Van Dyke in the studio. And um, I want to come back and and start with you, John, because there was kind of a unique uh, thing that went on uh, recently. We all know that our 34th Infantry Division, the Red Bulls, uh, recently had a deployment ceremony and then um, they, they departed for their, their training site, and you had, or you are part of something called Operation Orange Overwatch. What the heck was that? Yeah, no, uh, I'm glad you asked about that. Operation Orange Overwatch was really the culmination of the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Proclamation Ceremony back on December 8th, when right afterwards our Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, partners uh, helped uh, put that organization or put the uh, meeting together, but then immediately afterwards said, so now what? What are you doing, Minnesota Department of Transportation? And uh, they asked a very simple question. Could you help us? And the answer was yes, I think we can do that. And so what came of that was we haven't done any escorts of our service members for a long time. And I certainly remember our old deployments when the the state troopers and and the, the Patriot Guard and everybody else would escort the troops 
And so we brought that to our leadership team and said, this is a request that's been put to us. Um, are we good? Can we move forward? And it was a resounding yes across the board. And so ultimately what we ended up with was our snowplows uh, helped uh, lead the way for the 34th Infantry Division to get from Arden Hills, the training center up there, the division headquarters, down to the airport. And lucky for us, we just happened to have a truck station right there at the airport as well. So we could stand up and be the last ones to cheer them on onto their training. So, And then beyond that, I'd just like to add uh, people that may not have noticed this as much, but we also lit up the 35 Ave. 35W uh, bridge, uh, red for the Red Bulls on Saturday and Sunday night for the Red Bulls. So that's pretty cool. So, you know, as you said, every everything's got to have a name and obviously orange because that's the color of the uh, the plows. And, uh, you know, what a great way to to escort and, uh, and send off those deploying soldiers who, um, you know, are going to be gone for, you know, potentially a year from their families. And it's probably the least you could do is, is give them a good escort to uh, to the airport. And, you know, unlike a motorcycle, which is still pretty cool to have the Patriot Guard there, um, if anybody got in the way, they're pretty well protected with those plows on the front of them trucks. Right, right. And uh, I think for the 34th Infantry Division Red Bulls, it's it's uh, kind of a unique circumstance to say they were escorted not only by motorcycles, but by snow plows. Yeah, absolutely. So we have just like two minutes. And so I want to get both of you to give some final thoughts here. Uh, Karin, I want to start with you. Um, looking ahead, you know, how does the, how does MnDOT, how, what are you going to do to, to grow that support? Yeah, well, the proclamation ceremony, I mean, the feel in that rotunda was so positive and warm. I think there's such momentum now to keep things going. So we're really on starting to set up that steering team who can take this on, getting buy-in from leadership, um, really getting some actions in place. But I think a lot of it will be within those partnerships. Yeah. And John, we know that, um, you know, the proclamation, that really is just the beginning of it. Um, A lot of work led to getting that. However, um, you still have to do work to maintain it. And, you know, like Karin was saying, right, building additional relationships. How do you get your employees involved in these uh, employee resource groups? And, and then how do you continue to show that support to your employees that happen to be in, in this case, uh, a veteran uh, community or service member? Yeah, we uh, certainly have a lot of work internally to do with uh, getting the word around the department. Uh, again, we're 5,200 people strong, and we're throughout the entire state. So we want to make sure we're building internally, but then also making sure we're building those partnerships with the other organizations and our communities across the state, because we do. We serve every community in the state practically. So Yeah, and, and the good thing is, from an agency perspective, um, we already know that the governor um, is a huge supporter for our military, of course. Um, and then you have that support from your leadership internally as well within the agency. And, and that's really what you need is someone that says, yeah, go ahead, go do great things. And, uh, you know, you're kind of given that leeway to, to do what you need to do to, to take care of, uh, of our service members that happen to be working for and with uh, MnDOT. So with that, we are right at time. And I just want to say, uh, John and, and Karn, really appreciate you guys spending some time inside the studio here with us. And, and congratulations on the proclamation to be a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization. John, thanks for your service. And uh, thanks again for joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. That was John Solberg and Karn Van Dyke from the 
Minnesota Department of Transportation. I forgot to mention as we were closing out with uh, John and Karin to uh, let you know that the Minnesota Department of Transportation is hiring. So go to dot.state.mn.us for more information about different jobs and opportunities they have. Joining me now on the phone is the Minnesota National Guard Command Senior Enlisted Leader, Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson. Chief, how in the heck are you? I'm doing really well. I'm I'm recovering from traveling, so I think my jet lag is over. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, I I know that because so I had the distinct pleasure to be the master of ceremonies for the 34th Infantry Division deployment ceremony. And I was excited to be able to see you there, and uh, I was going to introduce you to the uh, to the audience. And then I got a late minute, uh, last minute cancellation, saying that you were stuck in Germany. So, how about if you um, we talk a little bit about what the heck was going on in Germany and why uh, why you weren't at the deployment ceremony? Well, so it was twofold why I was in Germany. One, well, I've never been to Germany in my thirty six years being in the military. I've never been to Mother Europe. Uh, Ramstein Air Base. So it was my first trip over to Ramstein Air Base. So it was very exciting for me to be over there. But most importantly, we were there for our meeting with our state partners. So we met with Croatia and Norway. Along with, we had uh, all of the NATO nations gathered for a European Command Strategic Working Group. So basically, it was the Supreme Allied Commander of UCOM, which is General Cavoli, was there with all the NATO nations, and we were able to uh, just discuss and work together on what the SPP means, where do we want this SPP to grow. Uh, There was over 800 people there, and it was just a phenomenal conference. And to be in the presence of all of these countries and all of these leaders, you know, we had a great time with our Croatian friends, Admiral Haran. It was his last big trip before he retires, so we spent time with him. And then we also got to sit with our Norwegian counterparts and catch up on things that are happening in Norway. So it was a really good time for myself and General Blomquist to be there at the table with our counterparts from our state partner nations, just, again, continuing our our partnerships with those com- with those countries. Yeah, what a what a great opportunity to get the three of you together at the same time too, right? So you right. can you know have yeah. some of that crosstalk, see how you can uh, continue to collaborate with the different types of training and uh, missions or initiatives that each of you um, have going on. Yeah, yeah, all the bilateral agreements that we've got going on. So yeah, very good. Well, I'm glad that you were uh, able to get your first time into Germany and uh, in, enjoy yourself and spend some good quality time with our with our partners. So that's great, and I'm glad to have you back. and And so let's close out today. We've got just uh, just about two minutes. You know, I opened up by giving you a hard time about not being at the deployment ceremony because you were you were traveling. But uh, you know. The, the Minnesota Army National Guard or the Army National Guard in general when they deploy, as we all know, you know, those deployments are typically, you know, a year long, you know, versus the, uh, the Air National Guard might have a, a three-month, four-month, maybe a six-month deployment. Um, so whether it's a deployment of three months or 10 months or 12 months, there's still something in common that, uh, that each of these deploying soldiers or airmen need, and that is some type of a support network. So what, uh, what do you say to um, our soldiers that are deploying right now with the 34th Infantry Division? Um, and then, you know, all of those, the families, the friends, the community that's back here uh, for anybody that is forward on a deployment? Well, you know, they always say it's easier to deploy. Uh, than to be the family that's left behind. So to the soldiers, I say, 
go do your mission. We have your back here in the state. And then to the, to the families and to all of the communities where these families are with our yellow ribbon and our, our family programs folks, all of the resources that we talk about, now is where the rubber meets the road. And this is where we have to really be listening, doing our sensing sessions, listening into the family, finding out what are their difficulties. Are we having difficulties with childcare? Are we having difficulties with our TRICARE? Where are you running into problems and where can we help? You know, if a soldier's family isn't getting paid, let us know right away. Don't let it wait 30, 30 days or 40 days. Let us know if you're not seeing the right pay come through so that we can help fix those problems here on the rear debt and get them, get them fixed. But it's up to us now to take care of these soldiers' families as we have promised them that we would do. So the rubber has met the road, and we are on task right now. Thank you so much, Chief. We really appreciate you joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. That's Command Chief Master Sergeant, the Command Senior Enlisted Leader of the Minnesota National Guard, Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson. We're just about out of time, and I'd like to let you know that this show is for you. If you have topic suggestions, if you have show feedback, or if you're a Minnesota veteran and you'd like to share your story, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com, click on Contact Us, and send us a message. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Isaac Lundquist, John Solberg, Karen Van Dyke, Commissioner Brad Lindsay of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week when we're going to hear from a Minnesota Army National Guard First Sergeant going to share their story about uh, service in the community and their military service, and we're also going to learn about the claims and field operations within the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Doug Wortham, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I hope you have a great week and you find a way to make a positive impact on someone's life. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.